0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen welcome to the first episode of Rabid candy podcast here we will cover a number of ridiculous Contemporary subjects, but we'll focus on the subject of b-movies and all the fun that goes along with it This is my take on how they are made and what a good b-movie is and what it takes to be an iconic member of the genre of so bad It's good You might ask yourself who the hell is this guy and why does he think he can talk about movies? That's a legitimate question. I don't have a degree in radio, television, and film. My degree is in psychology. What I do have is a lifetime of admiration for filmmakers that can make an incredible film on a shoestring budget. Sometimes the film is seriously done, sometimes it makes fun of itself, but it's all good. Now this love of movies, and B movies in particular, came at a very young age. My grandmother used to record movies she thought we'd like on her VCR. The first one she showed us was The Invisible Man with Claude Rains. It was a real spectacle of cool movie making at the time. The next one she recorded was the Ed Wood classic Plan 9 from Outer Space. Some have called this movie one of the worst movies of all time, or labeling it so bad it's good. While the latter may be true, it also represents what a truly fun movie can be made even after cutting a few corners. We'll cover a few of Ed Wood's movies in future episodes. Growing up in the 80s, there were always television shows on TV that featured B-movie horror and sci-fi. There was always a Creature Feature, Fright Mirror Hour, Fright Night, or Kung Fu Theater. For me, starting in 1985, a certain network that bared a striking resemblance to the name of our beloved country gave us Jim Hendrix, better known as Commander USA. Every Saturday he gave us Commander USA's groovy movies. It was a bonanza of B movie greatness every Saturday at noon, 11 Central. Commander USA and his trusty sidekick Lefty gave us the best of a celebrated genre and sealed my love of B movies forever. Following up Commander USA's greatness was Mystery Science Theater 3000. This was the show that pushed B movie greatness into the mainstream and has done so consistently for 30 plus years. Through three hosts, dozens of ridiculously good films, and several failed or imaginary relationships, this show has remained relevant from Gen X to Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I guess I could go on forever, but uh, there'll be plenty of time for nostalgia and backstory later. Let's dive right in and see what we find. When I talk about cutting corners in B-movies, one area that corners are cut is original storytelling. That is to say, that's not always the case. It's just one of the examples. Many times, however, B-movies do borrow certain aspects of established storylines and reorder them ever so slightly with varying degrees of originality and legality. Can anyone tell me what science fiction fantasy movie came out in 1977 that led to five sequels, three prequels, two backstory movies, a children's space bear movie, and a travesty of a Christmas special that will live in infamy forever. If you said Star Wars, you'd be right. Star Wars didn't just start the most iconic cultural trend in science fiction and movie history. It also shaped the very fabric of defense policy during the Reagan era of the Cold War with the Star Wars Defense Initiative. It also spawned an entire generation of spoof movies and B-movies that some referred to as rip-offs, but I like to think of as creative license. Hey, when you're on a budget, you can't really reinvent the wheel, can you? Our first few podcasts will go into some of these movies. Some of them you may have actually seen, others you haven't even heard of, and then some you might not have realized actually paid homage to Star Wars because of the way they were done. The first screen gem that we have based on Star Wars-like themes was the 1978 cult classic Star Crash. A movie that borrowed its main points from Star Wars, but it was also influenced by other cult classics like Barbarella, Sinbad, and I'm sure there's one or two others that are floating around in there. When it comes to character development, the similarities between these two films is undeniable. Uh, There are ridiculous bad guys in capes. There are whiny space wizards with lightsabers and like to use space magic. There's an emperor. You have a princess and a smuggler with a snarky robot. Uh, Now, here's where the creative licensing comes into play with regards to the characters. They have the same characters in Star Wars that they have in Star Crash, only now they're all mixed up. There's a lot of gender bending and there's a lot of good guy, bad guy mix-ups, but the similarities are there. The bad guy with the cape in this movie reminds me of Darth Vader without the voice of James Earl Jones. He sounds a bit unintimidating and reminds me of a poorly written villain from Miami Vice. There's also only one whiny space wizard in this and he's a bit of a spaz. The princess in this movie is now a dude played by a young David Hasselhoff four years before he got a cool Trans Am on TV and he's also lacking those signature hair buns of Princess Leia. They combine the snarky robot and Wookiee into one character that has an incredibly bad American accent. There was also an interesting gender bender when it came to the Han Solo like smuggler. Now it's being played by former Bond girl Carolyn Monroe. Apparently, the Han Solo smuggler attire was also deemed a bit impractical, and Miss Monroe played the role, for the most part, in a bikini. It was a space bikini, though, because, you know, when I'm traveling around the uh, galaxy, um, I, I wouldn't do it if I wasn't in my bikini. Uh, it's strictly a comfort thing. Unlike Star Wars, the uh, Emperor of the Universe in this little gem is now a good guy played by Academy Award winner Christopher Plummer. How the hell did they get him to do this movie? Well, they did it with two things. One was filming some parts of the movie in Rome. He said he'd do porn if it could get him to Rome. Secondly, they paid the shit out of him at $10,000 a day. Thankfully, all it cost him was a trip to Italy and one day's worth of work. Hey, for $10,000, I, I would definitely work a day on any movie. One interesting point, Uh, earlier I mentioned Princess Leia's hair buns. Well, they do make an appearance in this film, Uh, only now they got changed as well and they ended up on the bad guy with a cape. Uh, If you can imagine Darth Vader with Princess Leia's hair buns, uh, that's what you get. I really wish I were kidding on that. Some of the other fun similarities in these two films are there are still galactic empires flying around. There are still good guys and bad guys in the military wearing disco uniforms, shooting up the place, missing everything, flying through space haphazardly and just crashing into everything. Uh, there's also planet killing super weapons and just a load of other things. But one of the funniest things that I see in this is that apparently deep space, um, it, it's not like it is in Star Wars, Star Trek or anything else where you have a decent starfield. Everything in space in uh, the movie Star Crash looks like a uh, Christmas tree on fire. So it's uh, it's fun, but I do not recommend you do that when you're drinking or doing any kind of illicit substances. Now one big difference between Star Wars and Star Crash was the budget. Star Wars was created on an 11 million dollar budget which back in the 70's was not exactly chump change and you can get a lot done with that kind of budget. Now Star Crash was created on a 4 million dollar budget. Now that also wasn't, a, wasn't exactly chump change but compared to Star Wars you were cutting a few corners. Now in the end Star Wars ended up making about 776 million dollars. That's quite a return on that investment. Now Star Crash uh, in the United States box offices, it only generated about $478,000 on a $4 million budget. So, that would be a colossal failure by 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 domestic standards. Now, I don't have the numbers for international, but I imagine it was substantially higher. But uh, even that being said, uh, the film wasn't exactly a failure overall because it did win a couple of awards here and there. It, uh, at the 7th uh, Saturn Awards in 1979, it was nominated for the Best International Film. Now, whether it won or not, it probably didn't win, but just to be nominated is, is kind of interesting, and it sealed its status as a cult favorite later on. One aspect of Star Crash that they didn't cut any corners was the soundtrack. Now, the soundtrack was written by veteran composer John Barry, who had worked on several Bond films at the time, one of which actually had Carolyn Monroe in it. Uh, later, John Barry, uh, whom you may recall, worked on the Kevin Costner film Dances with Wolves and created a legendary soundtrack there. The people making the movie also didn't want John Barry to actually see the film because uh, they were worried that he was going to quit after he saw just what was going on. The director of Star Crash, Luigi Koji, stated that um, people assumed that Star Crash was a ripoff of Star Wars, um, but he says it was actually an original work. Uh, the design of the picture and the script were, you know, developed prior to the release of Star Wars. Yet other people claim that the producers of Star Crash uh, asked Cozy to make a opera, a space opera uh, based on Star Wars, and they gave him an, a copy of the novelization of the movie that came out beforehand. So he read it and he came up with his own movie. Now, shooting of this movie took uh, about six months to complete and was halted at several times because of financial problems. I mean, it's a low-budget film, so they had to cut a few corners, and funding was at a minimum, let's say. So ultimately, the film went to New World Pictures, and they took over. New World Pictures this time employed one producer named Roger Corman, who you may or may not know is a legend in the B-movie industry, having developed several films of his own. Now, he, in turn, saw what was going on here and developed his own movie uh, based on Star Wars and Star Crash, which ultimately became Battle Beyond the Stars. Roger Corman, being the movie legend that he was, he knew how to make a good film on a budget. He knew how to cut corners and save money while at the same time delivering a decent movie. And he his Battle Beyond the Stars to influence future projects like Forbidden World, Space Raiders, both of which borrowed heavily from the footage in that film. So we have the Holy Grail in Star Wars that was used to influence the creation of Star Crash that was then used to influence several Roger Corman classics. Now we'll go over several of those films in future podcasts. Legend has it, George Lucas found out that Star Crash was being made and that it borrowed heavily from his work. Knowing that, he sued the creators of Star Crash for copyright infringement. After viewing the film, George changed his mind. He probably saw the movie and how ridiculous it was and said, you know what? Never mind, I'm good. Then he withdrew the lawsuit. This is just hearsay. I couldn't find any corroborating evidence to back this up, but it makes for a really good story. Not too long ago, I found myself in Charlottesville, Virginia at the Alamo Draft House. Now, if you've never been to an Alamo Draft House, you really need to try it out. Uh, It had its origins in uh, Austin, Texas, and you can watch a movie, get dinner, get a few drinks, and just have an incredible time there because they tend to customize uh, the menus based on the film and they have um, film marathons and they have all kinds of fun stuff they just show not to show uh, first-run movies but they show classics too now I was in Charlottesville watching Dial M for Murder now when that movie was over I came outside the theater and I looked up and I saw a poster of Star Crash and there was a person uh, looking at this poster wondering what this movie was I in turn um, asked him, "Hey, have you seen this movie?" He tells me, "No. Have you seen it? Is it any good?" And I say, "No, it is not. It is one of those movies that is so bad that it's good. It is absolutely worth a watch." Now, it's, and I, you know, he, I pointed over to uh, um, this young lady that he was with. I said, "Is that your girlfriend?" And he goes, "Yes." I said, "Okay. So now." I recommend that you watch this movie because it is definitely worth a watch. Now I'm going to ask that you watch this alone. Uh, If you watch it with your girlfriend, you will not have a girlfriend uh, long after that. So uh, he got a good uh, chuckle out of that and he went home and he watched the movie. I never found out what happened to that guy after that, but I could feel a disturbance in the force and I can imagine it only being his girlfriend's hatred of me. My only hope is that she used that hatred and anger to achieve powers and abilities that most would consider unnatural. You and I would refer to that as marriage. So ladies and gentlemen, that was Star Crash. I could go on for hours about this incredible film. As it stands, I've only scratched the surface. Here we have a movie that was influenced by legendary films and filmmakers that in turn influenced even more movie makers and actors. It exemplifies what it takes to make a really good B-movie. It also illustrates the motivations of filmmakers and actors and demonstrates their talents, and the talents of people who would one day become cultural icons before they were truly famous. We at Rabid Candy Podcast, and when I say we, I actually just mean me, would like to take this time to thank some of our sponsors. They're the ones that make this podcast possible in the face of dire economic discord. We want to thank our friends at Bland-Aid brand, Substandard Band-Aids. When you find yourself bleeding profusely, as I regularly find myself, you'll try anything to save your miserable life. Bland-Aids. They're better than nothing. And Instant Coffee. When you're up late editing podcasts and need to add something to your energy drink to give you some zest, pick Instant Coffee. Making your sleep deprived hallucinations a little less hellish since about ten PM And finally my wife, through whom which all permission flows. Marriage it's not for the weak. Well that's all we have for today. In the immortal words of Commander USA, copyright nineteen eighty five USA Networks, keep your nose in the wind and your tail to yourself. Fair winds and following seas, Commander, you were a hoot. Good night.